ladies and gentlemen. That's enough flat nut. This is Jeff Jarrett. Hey, it's the hardcore legend Mick Foley. This is Take the Steak Roberts. Hey, this is Cody Rhodes. Hey, what's up, players? This is Teddy Dolan. I'm WWE Hall of Famer, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And you're listening to Wrestling with Ideals, tough guy. Oh! This is the greatest wrestling show on the planet. Taking you through the crazy world of Monday Night Raw and SmackDown Live are your rambunctious hosts, the man they call Gibby, Zach McGibbon, the Beast from BC, Alec Miski, the man, the myth, the legend, McGuire Forte, and primetime, Josh Primo. Now, it's time to wrestle with ideas. Welcome inside the CKDJ Studios for Wrestling With Ideas here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. I am the man they call Gibby, Zach McGibbon. Alongside me is the beast from BC, Mr. Alec Miski. Alec. hey How are you doing? Oh man, I'm great. You ready for the Wrestling With Ideas go-home show? Oh, it's going to be a great go-home show. I mean... And we've really updated a lot of things. We've got a new intro on the show, as you probably heard at the beginning. And uh, we've got a huge show today. We got two interviews uh, this week. Um, First off, uh, the first interview we got, uh, we got uh, Devin Nicholson, also known as Hannibal. Um, You may know him uh, from The Hannibal TV. Um, And of course, we've had him on uh, a couple of times previously, and each interview has always been very interesting to listen to and just to hear his experiences on. He is legitimately terrifying. He is very terrifying. In the interview itself, like we were talking and he said he's trying to get himself prepared for the Rick Steiner match and he said he was lean and so he wanted to get bigger and think about that so he wanted to get lean and get bigger and uh, he is and he is now he told me he is currently six foot four 278 pounds did he get taller no I don't think so I think he's always been six four <laughs> <laughs> no that's he, crazy he, like, yeah he's only 220 uh no, he's he's two two seventy eight. Two seven. Oh my goodness, I can't even listen to that. Yeah, uh, I gotta get two seventy eight. I gotta clean up my earballs. Yeah, um, your earballs. No, yeah, Speaking of ears, um, we had Joel Gertner on the show. Oh my god! Oh, was that ever an amazing interview? I he believe is, it. He, he was really good. You're gonna love the intro to wrestling with ideas that he did. It's it's classic Joel Gertner. For those who uh, are not aware who Joel Gertner is, I feel so much. I don't know what to say. I kind of feel depressed if they don't know who Joel Gertner is. Because Gertner is one of the most underrated managers in the history of pro wrestling, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. He, he had the chance to manage the Dudley Boys for ECW. Um, and he also was in a feud uh, with the uh, network, with the network uh, back in 2000 when they were on uh, TNN. Um, and uh, it was a very interesting interview. He got... He, goes through how he joined uh, ECW which was amazing because it's like it's classic Paul Heyman you know yeah. what I mean like and, and you'll definitely listen to it uh, when that goes over the air and uh, but yes you definitely want to listen to that interview it's a fantastic so it's a double whammy yeah, of this- uh, interviews and it's just going to keep on getting better because uh, next week uh, we got Rick Steiner. I know. That's amazing. Next week is Rick Steiner. And it, that one is going to be awesome. I'm going to ask him a ton of questions. Um, as of recording, actually, uh, we're getting the interview uh, set to go uh, very soon. Um, but uh, as, as, as of this recording, I'm just so excited for this Rick Steiner interview. And uh, because the Steiner brothers tag team. Yeah. One of my favorite tag teams. Oh, and they were the best, especially in like the late 80s when they were just yeah. on fire. And, uh, yeah. What were late- 80s, early the 90s. Mid-Atlantic? Yeah, Mid-Atlantic, and then WCW later on. Um, they, they were like a staple like of what WCW was able to create. Yeah, I'm just really surprised that Rick Steiner never kind of reached the same level that Scott did. I know, because like, at the time, people thought that Rick was the more charismatic one. Even then, he was the better worker. Yeah. And I, well, mean, that's a, I mean, obviously, there's always... They were both really good workers back then. Oh, yeah, no, time. it's like it's not a slight at Scott. Scott was still one of like the best in-ring yeah. workers at the time. And arguably the worst person on the microphone but still the most entertaining yes. um because nobody knows what's to know <laughs> everybody know wants to know <laughs> I, I i am a huge fan of the steiner brothers so i'm super excited to be talking to rick um and uh that'll be a great interview so you'll definitely want to do that in next week we just got some 
Good stuff lined up in the next couple of weeks. A lot, lot happening. Because let's let's face it, Raw has not been <laughs> supplying it, us with that much great stuff, and uh, and uh, we're still waiting on uh, getting our SmackDown live reviews are set to go. We're yeah. just we're just getting those uh, that audio uh, sort of recorded. Um, it's, it's kind of bad when we stop kind of looking at what's happening in the product, and we just realize there's a lot going wrong. Yeah. With the product, especially on Raw this week. Yeah. Uh, let's just let's just. Because again, this was the go home show, but there really wasn't much to take away from it because we had a free match. Yeah, the Cesaro Sheamus versus yeah. New Day. Yeah. Uh, so Cesaro and Sheamus won. So that means that they're going to lose at Hell in a Cell. Yep. Um, Stands to reason. Yep. And uh, 50 50 booking. Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, uh, Seth we Rollins won. Yeah. He beat uh, Jericho and Owens. So that, that's a loss at uh, Hell in a Cell. That's a, less, that's a loss at Hell in a Cell. I will be very shocked if he wins the title. He takes the title off of Owens. Um, but then again, you never know. Maybe Jericho screws him over. And then and uh, then Jericho. But it, apparently Jericho's leaving after Hell in a Cell, which is really disappointing because I want him to stick around for Survivor Series. And then, and then do the whole breakup thing and then go on tour with Fozzie. Or yeah, Fozzie yeah or whatever. like kind of like break up the bromance he has with his fellow Canuck. Yeah. It's uh, that's exactly what I want them to do. Let's talk about the Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar segment. That hurt. Wow, was that really bad? Like Heyman. Heyman struggled. He's the best like promo talker in the entire business, like bar none. Unless you want to include Jim Cornette in it, because that man can just like spew out entire like vitriol of hatred, and you still go, "Tell me more." <laughs> but no, like. Heyman usually can take any, like, can just take, like, the worst thing in the world and turn it into gold. Yeah. And this is an instance where he had gold and it got turned into that. Berg. Like, yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. It was literally, he was the Titanic and then he hit the Goldberg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it was all because WWE doesn't really know where they're hosting their shows. Yes. Wow. You want to talk about uh, silliness. Yeah. Just, oh, Lord. Like, how how could you think that Brock Lesnar, the hometown guy... Now, I know he's not living in Minneapolis anymore. Yeah. He lives in Saskatchewan now, actually. He's even, like... He's I, Canadian. He's it, actually yeah, Canadian. Yeah, like, in now. UFC, like, he gets billed out of yeah. Saskatchewan. Yeah, he's from Saskatchewan. Uh, I think he's he, I think he's from Saskatoon, actually. Uh, but anyways, imagine that for all the people that listen from Saskatchewan, just be aware when you're going out hunting, yeah. <laughs> if Brock Lesnar is there, um, but, uh, and there's a rabid beast running around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and, and you just see Heyman falling behind. He's like, my client, Brock <laughs> Lesnar. It's <laughs> just like, like, you know, they're just a, like a car driving through the prairies late at night. It's pitch black. They can barely see anything. They just hit something. It was like, oh my God, what was that? It's like my client, Brock <laughs> Lesnar. <laughs> I mean, um, oh, it's just terrible. But that the segment was it, it, apparently it was so bad that uh, according to the Wrestling Observer, um, they were saying that Vince blew a gasket backstage and put the music on early. I believe it. Yeah, because it seemed like it was cut off early. Um, but oh boy, was that did that segment go bad? Like, Heyman's been kind of joking around about it since because if you've been seeing his Twitter recently, oh yeah, he's really like tongue in cheek about he's, like apparently there was an article that ESPN releases like Paul Heyman master promo talker, like, and he's like, thank God this article was released before the before uh, Minneapolis before Minneapolis. But I don't know what I don't know what they were thinking with that. I think the idea that they had was Dolph Ziggler got booed in uh, his home town and kevin owens was really able to work that into like you know a funny little bit and yeah. they're like oh hey we'll have paul Heyman go out there and they'll boo uh brock lesnar in his hometown because goldberg yeah like i'm not saying goldberg isn't a reason to like kind of have like you know the crowd draw yeah. heat but it's like you know they remember wrestlemania what was it 20 20 yeah yeah we all remember WrestleMania wrestlemania's in my opinion by the way Doesn't except that except that match what match the lesnar goldberg yeah that one yeah, I'm, I thought you were talking about the other match, There's the triple threat match? between Stevie Richards, Triple H, and uh, Shawn Michaels. God, <laughs> they've had some pretty bad triple threat matches at WrestleMania. I, I that's that's not a real match. That, that's not. No, I, I, oh. Oh, I thought you were. Oh, I thought you were in on the Benoit joke. No, oh, no, man. Instead of like, this is going out over the airways, I look like an idiot. <laughs> all these guys. I'm uh, not the beast from BC. I'm no, the, no, no, no. I'm talking about one of the greatest triple threat matches of all time: Benoit, Michaels, and Triple H. I know. Yeah, you do you? Yeah, oh yeah, that was the one where uh, Eddie came out and they yeah, raised yeah, their yeah, hands yeah, and yeah. all the streamers coming down. Eddie and, and it was a race from everyone's memory, and it's never spoken of ever again. Yep. Yeah. 
it's 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 really disappointing because it was one of the better WrestleManias. Oh, absolutely. Um, but anyways, going off top uh, topic here. Off yeah, topic. Raw Raw was not. Oof. There was an arm wrestling segment on this show. See, arm wrestling kind of it works. Except the way they did it didn't work. Yeah. And this whole thing is like you have Bailey going up against Dana Brooke. Dana looks a lot bigger than Bailey. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, you know, oh, yeah, she's got the chance. It's like when someone's got a bigger arm than you in an arm wrestling competition, you're done. It's not yeah. like, uh, what's his name? Um, Stallone and I believe yeah. over the top. Yes. Jeez, am I just bringing up all these great references? Oh, yes. Oh. What, that, what a great movie. <laughs> How do you work out your arm? Well, I drive a truck across the country and I just kind of like go, oh, yeah. Yeah, come on. My son helps me. <laughs> just ridiculous, ridiculous. And it's uh, like, I like the segment. It's a great way to have like a match without a match. Yeah. But didn't build anything. Yeah. Kind of stupid. It makes you bored. Ba <laughs> Bailey won it. So she's going to lose it. <laughs> Let it sell now. Wonderful. And she's done. There you go. And like, it's, I don't know. During the arm wrestling segment, the crowd chanted, we want wrestling. <laughs> I've said there's like you're getting wrestling you're getting arm wrestling you know actually what uh, to go completely off topic into something better that's off topic as well you know what uh, Corey Graves said on uh, NXT this week no what do you say he said that the Toronto Maple Leafs want to trade Austin Matthews to NXT for Bobby Roode ah that's awesome you know what that that's is glorious. Yeah. <laughs> that's glorious oh that's great, oh, no, great. I, can't, I can't wait for the Roode and Dillinger match because Toronto's just going to go insane oh, for that match because they're te they're technically both. I think Dillinger's now just turn babyface and Rude's the heel, but they're both just going to get immensely cheered. Oh yeah, like because they're Rude both is I, over, just yeah. completely over. Man, that's going to be a good one. But anyways, uh, after all that rambling, let's just go straight into our interviews. We're going to play our full interview with uh, Hannibal first, and that will be and that's something you definitely want to listen to. Uh, we talk about his NXT tryout that he was supposed to have, um, but he go and he goes into a detail on how that came to be and what happened, um, and all that sort of stuff. And then later on, you'll hear an interview with the quintessential stud muffin, the lyrical miracle, the sexual intellectual. Mr. Joel Gertner. Oh, man. He, that man is a national treasure. <laughs> he is amazing. So and definitely want to tune in for that. Oh, but, absolutely. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing like the insight into what happened with Hannibal at NXT. Yeah. You know, what, what really goes on behind the scenes there? I think no one really knows. No. I, it's, it's, it's an interesting interview, so you'll definitely want to tune that in. But, but uh, until then, yeah, keep on listening to Wrestling With Ideas here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. So let's just uh, get things started right away. So you were invited to NXT, uh, I believe, back in May. Um, and what happened with that whole ordeal of the NXT tryout? Uh, that was a bit of a interesting situation. It was an unfortunate situation because uh, actually last time I was on your show, I think I was, or a couple of times ago, maybe I was talking about it. I had... Uh, attended a tryout in front of uh, Gerald Briscoe and Jim Ross back in uh, 2014 in Iowa. And out of that, I was supposed to get an NXT tryout, but nothing came out of it. Then I attended a tryout in front of Ric Flair um, in 2015, and uh, that seemed to go positive. Ric Flair said at that point that he was going to recommend me actually four of us, but I was one of them to, uh, for NXT tryouts, never heard back. So earlier this year, uh, superstar Billy Graham, who's a friend of mine, close friend, um, who's actually under WWE Legends contract now, uh, found me Gerald Briscoe's uh, cell phone number and basically said, why don't you call him and ask whatever happened, why didn't you get the tryout, because it seemed to go positive. Uh, so I basically called Gerald Briscoe up, and he said he didn't know what, what happened, actually, um, but to send him some recent matches and recent pictures, and uh, he would try to get me in the upcoming tryout. This was about February that I talked to Briscoe, and there was a trial coming up in May. So I sent him uh, a recent match and some pictures, and then... Uh, he liked it, and he said he was going to recommend me for the May tryout. And for about seven or eight weeks, I was in contact with WWE, 
every week. Um, I was actually accepted into this tryout that was happening in May. Sent my uh, itinerary, sent my confirmation that I was in it and everything. And then uh, just over a week before the tryout, on a Sunday night, around 10.30 at night, I got an uh, email from uh, Robert Gordon, who I guess is someone at WWE Talent Relations. I don't know. There's a rumor going around that he's not with Talent Relations anymore. So since then, he could have been released. But uh, at that point, he was one of the Talent Relations people. He had been involved in this uh, NXT tryout uh going back and forth with me about me uh, going, sending me information about it and stuff. But anyways, he sent me an email uh, just saying that I, they were sorry for the confusion that they caused me, but I was no longer invited to the tryout. And that was it. Uh, I responded back asking if I could have some further details or any reason why they never responded to me. And then uh, I actually saw Gerald Briscoe again this past summer. I actually spent a couple of days with him, seeing him like quite frequently over the two days, even did a radio interview with him. And uh, I got the chance to ask Gerald Briscoe if he knew what happened uh, regarding that tryout when I saw him in person. And he said he doesn't know. They don't tell him why people aren't accepted. His job is only to recommend people. He said he felt bad for me over the whole situation. Uh, but he, his exact words to me was he can't even get his own son a job, so he doesn't have as much pull as he used to. And, of course, Wes Briscoe is his son, who was a development wrestler for a while, suffered a knee injury, then was released. The knee injury's fixed now. He's been in TNA in Japan since, but he has never been able to get back in WWE, so I guess that's pretty legitimate. What Briscoe said is he can't even get his own son in there even though he may want to, he tried to get me in there. I guess he just doesn't have a, enough power. And whoever uh, changed their mind about my trial is obviously above Gerald Briscoe. So I don't know who that would have been. I don't want to speculate on it, but no one really knows. <laughs> so, so that's about it. Maybe I'll find out one day. I don't know. Uh, it's too bad because... Uh, I feel that I'm in the prime of my career right now. Uh, great Things are going great in uh, Great North Wrestling, no pun intended, going fantastic for me, but there's just not a lot of uh, independent wrestling out there where you can actually make money. So WWE's and New Japan are pretty much the two places where you can actually make a decent living at pro wrestling in this world, and uh, New Japan... They have a deal with Ring of Honor right now with WWE. Um, they're not taking it, so it's, I was just a little disappointed in that, but my first WWE tryouts were in 2004, so the person that actually took my, my being uninvited to the tryout the worst was Billy Graham. He took that very personally and was very upset over that because uh, he had also written me a letter of recommendation to WWE during that time uh, where I was supposed to be getting the tryout. So for them to uninvite me, uh, he took that very personally. But for me, it's I was used to the rejection by then. So mm -hmm. whatever, I'm working. We have a lot of great stuff going on with uh, my YouTube channel, The Hannibal TV, and uh, my interviews are becoming more and more popular. We're getting great hits on the interviews. We have uh, over 16 million total views on my YouTube channel. I've only been doing it for two and a half years over 25,000 subscribers. It's growing literally on a daily basis. So I may just have to continue creating my own niche in professional wrestling. And let's face it, I'm not knocking WWE, but the fact of the matter is ratings are dropping on a yearly basis for WWE. So their popularity is not in a growing period right now. It's in a declining period. So there may be room for other companies to pop up in the future. And uh, going off of that, um, the other rival companies like the TNAs who are currently going through their own situation, but Reign of Honor, New Japan, do you see any uh, potential in going to those other companies and working for them? Uh, the TNA is pretty much finished from what I understand, <laughs> uh, but uh, they're holding on by just a grasp, but it's not a good environment there, and they certainly don't have the money to be 
buying Canadians work visas and that's the other thing if you're going to work for an American wrestling company like Ring of Honor or even TNA that's one disadvantage you have as a Canadian because say they want to hire you, you you can't just start with them you have to go through a work visa application process which can take numerous months and then the work visas cost money so you already have one strike against you as a Canadian for companies like that because they can't just bring you right on board. You have to go through that process. Your flights are more expensive, et cetera. So um, I couldn't really see myself uh, in Ring of Honor. I, don't, I just don't think it's my my style of wrestling. Um, for New Japan, I think I will eventually be in New Japan. They have the deal right now where they're using Ring of Honor talent. Unfortunately, from what I understand and what I've been told by reliable sources, pretty much every other company in Japan right now, if you're from North America, you have to pay for your own plane ticket if you want to wrestle there. Hmm. I don't want to do that. I don't want to wrestle in Japan enough to pay for my own plane ticket and work for the smaller companies and build my name. So I think the way that I will eventually get to a big company like New Japan will be just building my name here as it has been growing getting more popular on a worldwide basis, having bigger matches, and then eventually there'll just be a demand for me to be there. But there's not many wrestlers alive that are that are in their prime today like I am that have worked with Terry Funk, who's a legend in Japan, that have worked many, many matches with Abdullah the Butcher, who was also a legend in Japan. Um, so... I'm also a very big guy. I'm around 278 pounds right now, six foot four. Uh, they don't really have too many big guys um, in Japan right now that are foreigners like they used to. Like Michael Elgin, um, he's a good six, seven inches smaller than me from what I remember. Um, when I uh, met him a few times in the past, so they they do need bigger guys. Um, so we'll see what the future holds, but. Uh, Right now, as I said, I'm, I'm worrying about uh, growing my own channel. In uh, 2017, I'm going to have uh, a lot of big interviews coming up. I'm going to be attending the WrestleMania weekend in Orlando getting interviews. I'm going to be attending the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, weekend in Las Vegas. I'm going to be back to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame weekend in Waterloo, Iowa, getting more interviews and just growing my own channel and... Uh, that's mainly uh, my concern, and I have a big ma- I have two big matches coming up. Speaking of J- Japanese legends, uh, Rick Steiner, who's a 10-time World Tag Team Champion, I'm wrestling him next Saturday night, November 5th, in Hawkesbury, which is going to be the biggest Great North Wrestling event in many years as far as star power goes. And uh, Rick Steiner holds the record for the fastest pin as an amateur wrestler in University of Michigan history in 10 seconds. So this guy is a very dangerous opponent, and he is a legend in Japan. The Steiner brothers were huge in Japan. And then the next day, I'm wrestling for a company called CPW International in Windsor, Quebec, which is just outside of Sherbrooke, against West Briscoe. West Briscoe is also going to be on the uh, November 5th card in Hawkesbury against Nathan Banner, who is a former Pro Wrestling Zero One Japan wrestler. They're going to be in its best two or three falls match for Great North Wrestling. But I am wrestling in West Briscoe the next night in uh, Windsor, Quebec. And uh, West Briscoe has wrestled for New Japan and uh, TNA. So as far as Japan goes, I'm going to be wrestling two former New Japan pro wrestling wrestlers in uh, my next two matches coming up. And I think you'll uh, you'll see me against more Japanese wrestling uh wrestlers in the future for sure because uh, I wrestle a style uh, that's very similar to the Japanese wrestling style so mm-hmm. I think that's what you can more expect out of me perfect and, uh, and more information on that before I finish <laughs> yeah, no for interested in the uh, in the Star Stampede event if you go to greatnorthwrestling.ca all the information on uh, Star Stampede is there I know this radio station is in Ottawa Hawkesbury is only about a 45 minute drive from Ottawa, uh, it's right between Ottawa and Montreal. Uh, they have a nice arena there. It's a great town for wrestling. Great North Wrestling has been coming there since 2007. Um, so we're really excited about that. And for our Ottawa fans, uh, we're actually going to be back in Ottawa 
on uh, May the 6th and August the 5th at the Earl Armstrong Arena in 2017. So um, we had a great crowd in Ottawa for her event last May. Um, I took on Nathan Banner on that event, um, and that was a really tough match, but uh, the crowd was really hot. We had uh, nearly 500 people for that event, and uh, it was such a success that we're going to go back twice next year. Awesome. And uh, one last question on the WWE front. Uh, how much uh, more do you think you're going to pursue uh, going after that NXT tryout uh, for WWE? Uh, as I said, to be honest, I that was a situation where Billy was helping me, and I, I wasn't actually even pursuing it at that point. It was just a situation where Billy thought he could help me. So he suggested that I do it, so I did it. But um, I'm doing just fine on my own, and I actually think uh, I like. I'm a pretty uh, interesting person, but I I'm a bit of a loner, and I like I'm a bit of a person that likes to do things my own way. So I might just be better off as a bit of an outlaw doing things on my own, not be, not having to deal with the NXT. If, it, if the situation came up, of course, as I said, like, if you, if you become a top star in the WWE, you can make enough money that you can be set for life. There's not a ton of those positions open, but the possibility is there. So I will always want that for those reasons, but I do, I really enjoy doing interviews with wrestlers, I find that very satisfying, and uh, I'm also going to expand into interviews with other sports figures. We recently interviewed the World Arm Wrestling uh, League champion Devin Lariat, uh, Devin Lariat, sorry, and uh, I've interviewed Evander Holyfield in the past, Lou Ferrigno. So I think we're going to continue expanding the interviews, but also I'm doing acting and getting acting gigs here and there, and. I actually enjoy acting just as much as I do wrestling, so um, it's not like it was for me six or seven years ago where uh, my whole life revolved around getting a WWE contract. Now I realize that there's other things in life beyond that, and uh, the, the product now, I'm not insulting it. There are fans of it, but I'm not a fan of the current product, so it's not like it's something I'm a fan of. When I wanted to be a wrestler uh, growing up, I was a massive fan of the product. I was a fan of Ric Flair, Macho Man, uh, The Undertaker. There are still good matches here and there and some things that interested me, but I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of the product, so it's not like the be-all, end-all uh, for me anymore. I'll find other ways to uh, be happy in my life. And uh, let's go on to uh, Great North Wrestling, what you've been uh, working on. Well, where do you see uh, the development of that promotion going, especially with the big 2017 uh, plant? Well, 2017 is actually going to be our 10-year anniversary, which is pretty impressive. We've put on well over 100 shows in 10 years, so that's an accomplishment. Um, I think what you can see for Great North Wrestling is we're going to continue cutting the, the fat from Great North Wrestling and uh, putting on more from top to bottom of the card, higher quality events. You look at this next event, Star Stampede, uh, you have me against Rick Steiner, you have Wes Briscoe against Nathan Banner, you have Lavers, Stones, former, both of them were uh, WWE Tag Team Champions multiple times, uh, Rene Dupree and Sylvain Grenier. Our women's division is growing and getting very popular. Uh, Lady Yasmin is our most popular uh, female right now, but at Star Stampede, she's wrestling Stephanie Sinclair, who I understand is the top female wrestler in Quebec right now. So I think what you're going to see from Great North Wrestling in the future is our women's division growing. I think you may see in 2017 two to three women's matches um, per events because the fans really like the women's matches and women's wrestling is very popular right now. So you're going to see more women's matches and higher quality cards from top to bottom. And you may see us getting into eye pay-per-views because the interesting thing about Great North Wrestling, if you look at our YouTube demographics, 
we're third popular, our third most popular place where we are is Canada. Our most popular place for Great North Wrestling is the United States. The second is the United Kingdom. Canada's third. So I think by us expanding to high pay-per-views, um, that will be good more for us on a worldwide scale. So I think that's what you're going to see more from us in the future. Uh, better overall quality cards, bringing in more wrestlers that are known as great performers worldwide and stacking the cards a bit more and uh, possibly getting into eye pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And uh, going off of Great North Wrestling, the extension of that, The Hannibal TV, uh, where do you see uh, that YouTube channel growing? Because as you mentioned, it's growing daily, and we're seeing just uh, big increases on that channel. Where do you see that channel uh, taking you uh, going into 2017? Well, what I would like for that channel... Uh, and we've already been doing this a bit with other companies. Is I hope that it is the official YouTube channel of Great North Wrestling. But we put on wrestling matches from numerous companies on that channel. So I hope that in the future we continue to not only events, other high-quality wrestling events and matches, as let's say if I'm traveling to a location to get a bunch of interviews if we're allowed to film a big show in uh, one of those locations while I'm there doing the interviews and posting it on the Hannibal TV. I think that'll be good. And definitely just bigger and bigger interviews. We're going to be getting uh, a shoot interview with Terry Funk in the new year. I'm not going to reveal my list of everyone I want to get in the next, in 2017, but there's a lot of big names that I want to get on there. And uh, shoot interviews are the most popular thing on there, but we do have some great matches um, from uh, all the years in Great North Wrestling. And we recently posted a match between Ricochet and Sammy Callahan that I thought was a pretty good match on there. Um, So that's what I see for for the Hannibal TV. I think it's going to continue growing, um, even at a more rapid rate. And uh, especially as I see, let's say... We, are, we already have more subscribers in Global Force Wrestling. And then what, what I see happening is if TNA goes out of business, that's one less option of wrestling fans to watch. So Great North Wrestling is going to be a more, even more popular, let's say, if TNA goes out of business just by default because wrestling fans are still going to want to get their fix of wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, it's just going to continue growing. Our production values are going to get better and better. And our, our content's going to get better and better. We're uh, really working hard on it. And we listen to the fans' comments, the people that comment. We do listen to your comments. And uh, we have uh, specifically uh, gone after some interviews that fans have requested. And that's another one. Everyone's been requesting Terry Funk lately. So we're going to be going after Terry Funk Um we want to be a fan-friendly league. Before we start, before we uh, got into this uh, next event, uh, Star Stampede, November 5th in Hawkesbury, we put out fan polls of who our fans wanted to see in Great North Wrestling, and Rick Steiner was the top person that the fans selected. So we are bringing in Rick Steiner, and that's what we want to be in the future. We want to be very fan-friendly. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And uh, so uh, where do you see uh, yourself going? Uh, like, uh, How much uh, will you take of uh, other indie bookings? Because uh, we mainly see you uh, on the Great North Wrestling shows. Uh, how often do you think uh, you'll be taking independent bookings with other promotions? Uh, I'm not really interested, to be honest. They're going to have... The thing is, there's not much money in independent wrestling. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, the... Because I also work other uh, jobs that I enjoy. So for me to take a day or two off work, uh, to travel somewhere, um, when I could just stay here, work on my own company, and make the same amount of money, it's it's really not that uh, much of an incentive to me. I was actually, this coming weekend, I was supposed to... I had a good offer to wrestle in Cleveland for a company called Cleveland Knights Championship Wrestling, but uh, they changed their agreement 
um, a few weeks ago, so I ended up not doing that <laughs> because there's a lot of unprofessional independent promoters out there too. That's the other reason. There's very few uh, trustworthy independent promoters out there. So, for instance, they agreed to bring me into this show in Cleveland for a certain amount of money. Um, they paid me the deposit. I'll give them that. But then uh, when they go to buy my plane ticket, they wait till three weeks before the event and say, we can't afford your plane ticket out of Ottawa. You're going to have to drive to Montreal, fly from <laughs> Montreal to Cleveland. And it's like, I'm not going to drive two hours from Ottawa to Montreal, pay for airport parking, <laughs> then fly to your show, then drive back. So it's just dealing with with stuff like that, promoters changing deals. There's a lot of headaches. So there's very few uh, situations where I'm going to get myself into um, wrestling for other companies. I'm quite happy. Um wrestling for myself and there's no to be honest with you there's there's nowhere I'd really want to wrestle um, other than WWE or New Japan Puerto Rico I, you can't make money there anymore I wrestled there for four years the fourth year the I was working for Carlos Colon and he was very dishonest with his pay um, and now business is far worse than it was the last year I worked there which was 2008 so, I mean, that's not a place to go anymore. Um, England, who knows? I may, I have a lot of fans in England, and there's some better companies popping up there, so you may see me in England in the future. But there's very few few options out there. It's not like it's the 1980s anymore. Hmm. Like, it's, there's no more territories. Um, and as an independent wrestler, you're not making that much money. So to, to take time off of your own work to drive somewhere, risk injury, uh, and then maybe not even get paid. It's just not not worth it for me. Mm-hmm. I'm all over the wrestling. I've wrestled for many years. My first professional match was when I was 17 in 2001. So, I mean, I'm, I, I have about 10 years left of top athletic performance ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pick and choose my matches. Mm-hmm. And the money will have to be right, and the matches will have to be right for me to, to, to compete. Yeah. And I don't want to wrestle in uh, community halls. I don't want to wrestle in bingo halls. That's the thing about Great North Wrestling. We always wrestle in arenas. I like to have a shower after. Yeah. That's my one thing that I like when I wrestle somewhere. I want to be able to have a shower after my match. Mm-hmm. I'm beyond being crammed into a room, curtained-off room, being crammed in with 30 wrestlers. Uh, when you can't even have a shower after your match and then you're driving home all sweaty with some other person's sweat on you. Uh, I'm, beyond, I'm beyond that point in my career. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, just uh, one last quick question for you. Uh, could you just describe uh, the card that's going on at Star Stampede on November 5th? Yes, it's uh, November 5th at the Robert Hartley Arena in Hawkesbury. Tickets are on sale now, starting at just $10 in advance through TicketWeb.ca, where you can go to the arena and get them at the arena reception desk. They will also be available the night of the event, and uh, it's going to be a huge card. Uh, I'm going to be facing Rick Steiner with my Canadian title on the line in the main event. This is going to be one of the toughest matches of my career. I'm very concerned about this match. But I think everyone that has seen me lately um, will be able to tell you I am in the best shape. I'm always in good shape, but I know Rick Stein is a strong guy. I was was pretty lean my last few matches. I put on a bit more bulk, but I'm still doing a lot of cardio. So I'm in extremely good shape right now. I'm taking this match very seriously. Then you have Wes Briscoe um, taking on Nathan Banner in a best two out of three falls match. Uh, Wes Briscoe was part of Aces and Eights in TNA. He'll be managed by the Aces and Eights Quebec leader, Dark Cash, in Great North Wrestling. Uh, Then you have La Resistance, the original members reuniting, Rene Dupree and Sylvain Grenier, picking on the team of Jeremy Prophet, who's a two-time Canadian champion, and Paul Rosenberg, who defeated Carlito, um, this past February in Hawkesbury. 
And for all of you Ottawa fans, you may remember Jeremy Prophet and Rosenberg beat Demolition in Ottawa. So they're going to be taking on La Resistance. That should be a very good match. Then, as I discussed before, Lady Yasmin, who defeated Vanessa Craven at the last Great North Wrestling event in Ottawa, will be taking on Stephanie St. Clair, who is the NCW Femme Fatale champion and uh, the top female wrestler in Quebec right now. Uh, Freak Nation is also going to be in action. MVP is going to be teaming up with Pretty Boy Perry. They're managed by Asana. They're taking on the Spoiler and the Fabulous Jacques Lamoureux in a grudge match. There's been a long feud going on now between uh, Lamoureux and uh, Perry because Perry stole Asana from Jacques Lamoureux and Perry actually injured the ribs of uh, Fabulous Jacques back at the Great North Wrestling event in Ottawa and re-injured them at the Great North Wrestling event um, in Smith Falls. So it's going to be a big card stacked from top to bottom. Um, There's seven matches total. Uh, Carl LeDuc is also going to be returning to Great North Wrestling, the son of Paul LeDuc, and he's going to be taking on the Green Phantom, who is known for his hardcore wrestling. He's from Montreal. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's also going to be a very... uh, very good match. So as I said, GreatNorthWrestling.ca has all the information, TicketWeb.ca, or the arena has tickets. They do serve alcohol at the Robert Hartley Arena. So uh, it's going to be a great event, and it's going to be our last event of 2017. Our next event that we have booked officially is going to be May 6th in uh, Ottawa, mm-hmm. but there probably is going to be another event between Hawksbury and there. Mm-hmm. But uh, you don't want to miss the Hawksbury one. This is going to be our, a, a star-studded event. Everyone's going to be available for autographs, for you autograph seekers out there. Uh, an action-packed car. Dylan Black's going to be a ring announcer, and so is Yves Durang, who is a former strongman competitor. And uh, it's going to be a great night. And, uh, of course, the matches are going to be posted on the Hannibal TV which I would encourage everyone to uh, subscribe to that's listening. Um, you, of course, do the weekly uh, news updates on there, too. So yeah. we've been, uh, that's actually uh, been one of the, it's been successful so far, I think. Yeah. People have, have enjoyed uh, getting the weekly news updates. So, so the Hannibal TV, not only do we post matches, but we post shoot interviews, and we're now posting um, news updates uh, every week or so uh, for all the latest news from the world of professional wrestling, not just Great North Wrestling, but WWE and TNA for as long as TNA is uh, <laughs> remaining around. But yeah. yes, it is sad that some wrestlers will be losing their jobs, but let's face the facts here. That's been a terrible product for years now, pretty much unwatchable product. And uh, so much weird and bizarre stuff has happened with TNA. Um, they're now in death in the millions, so mm-hmm. it's time for someone just pull, pulls a plug on it, and maybe a new company will rise from the ashes, but someone needs to put that company to rest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So uh, thanks again uh, for the interview, and uh, I'll see you on uh, Hawksbury on Saturday. All right, thanks a lot. Well, 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 it is I, the lyrical, miracle, the sexual, intellectual, the cunning linguist, and the quintessential stud muffin, Joel Gertner. And you are listening to Wrestling With Ideas. Keep listening and have yourself an eargasm. Welcome back inside the CKDJ studios for Wrestling With Ideas here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. On the line with me, he goes by many nicknames. He's been known as the Lyrical Miracle. He's been known as the Sexual Intellectual. He's also been known as the Quintessential Stud Muffin. On the line with me is Joel Gertner. Joel, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing well, Zach. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank. it's great to have you on, my friend. And uh, let's just go straight into your time in ECW. Uh, how did you initially uh, join that promotion? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they had a great buzz, and I've been following them kind of as, you know, as the fan that kind of watches whatever they can on TV and, you know, follows it in newsletters, magazines, radio shows just like this, that kind of thing. Um, And I was up at college at the time. I started there in 93, and that's when ECW was uh, new. It had just started in, like, 92, and it really kind of started getting its footing in 93, in 95, while I was about halfway through with college or three years in or whatever it was, I, um, I had gone to one or two shows, and I found myself at one show in Philadelphia, and I was actually hanging out with friends at the hotel bar after the show. Uh, I ran into Paul Heyman, and I figured, you know, if I'm going to ask for a job, it's, you know, this is, this is it right here. It's not ham-fisted. It's not contrived. It's, um, you know, it's not creating a situation where I'm running into the guy. I'm actually just running into the guy. And I wound up giving, believe it or not, they call it now in business an elevator pitch. And I actually gave my elevator pitch outside an actual elevator in the lobby of the hotel. And I had no idea it was called an elevator in the pit, uh, pitch at the time. But I just introduced myself, um, basically, you know, who I was, what I had done, um, in the business so far, which wasn't much. It was about four years on the independent circuit and bootleg shows and that kind of thing. Um, mentioned a mutual friend that Paul and I had and just essentially said, you know, I go to Cornell. It's not so far away from a show that you have coming up in Middletown. Uh, it's not too close either, but not so far away. And, uh, and I said, listen, you know, I know that um, – your ring announcers are Philadelphia-based, so I don't know if they're going to be going to Middletown or not. But if it would be the kind of thing where you know you'd be last minute looking for somebody to fill in for them and, and do it, you know I'd be more than happy now to kind of volunteer and I you know I'd love to audition and that kind of thing. And I just basically asked for the gig, and Paul looked at me and he said, "You want it?" I was like, "Yeah." He said, you got it. Be there by five. Wow. That's amazing. And yeah, and that turned into five, five and a half years. Wow. That's uh, that's amazing. So what was it like working with a guy like Paul Heyman? We've heard a bunch of stuff about uh, you know him being uh, this creative genius and just always working on ECW. How would you describe uh, your relationship uh, with Paul? Yeah, he, you know, for me, he was a mentor. Um, for me, he was absolutely a creative, uh, you know, dynamo, like a creative, like, just like almost like ricochet rabbit, you know, just kind of like nonstop. Um, you know, the, the evil genius, the mad scientist, that aspect, definitely. Um, you know, he had the kind of charisma that, you know, he, everybody was just, you know, everybody was enthralled with ECW. The same way he was able to take people and play to their strengths, you know, accentuate their talents, hide their weaknesses, is the same way he was also able to turn ECW into the biggest, best, and greatest machine that it could be while hiding all of its flaws, you know, whether they were that we didn't have any money or whether they were that, you know, some people perceived us as being a little bit niche and we could never go completely mainstream without selling out. You know, whatever the, the downfalls or the, you know, the cons were as far as, like, you know, the, the pros and cons, um, at the end of the day, you know, Paul just not only was able to sell all of us who worked in ECW on ECW and on their own characters, but, of course, he was able to sell the fans. And how did your character of Joel Gertner uh, develop in ECW, and how much creative control did you have uh, over your character during that time? I had more than probably anybody in their early 20s ever should. Uh, I was blessed. I, you know, I came to see going different places that it's not like that always everywhere. Um, but, yeah, I, I had a good amount of um, creative input. Um, and, and again, you know, I treated that like the blessing that it was. I tried never to take that, uh, too much, uh, for granted, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the Gertnerisms, you know, 98 out of a hundred of them I came up with on my own. Um, the well, well, well was probably suggested as something to say, uh, the first time around because it just sounds like something a, you know, villainous cartoonish heel might say. Um, and so, and then, 
you know, it picked up steam, so we ran with it. Uh, quintessential Sud Muffin nickname was bestowed upon me by Paul as a uh, homage to um, Austin Idol, the universal heartthrob, who he had managed earlier in his career. Um, but yeah, a lot of creative input, thankfully, and um, you know, and, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, how did that decision? Uh, because one of your more famous runs was with the Dudley Boys. Um, how did that decision to put you with the Dudley Boys uh, come about? You know that I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't know that I'm. I was really ever privy to the kind of what the thought process was in putting us together. Um, at one point before Bubba started cutting more of his own promos um he was he didn't really speak he was like a stutterer so i think initially it it was just you know how to give voice and give a mouthpiece to these people who are absolute heels but not necessarily with anything they're doing on the mic and then from there it certainly evolved um i know at one point the dudleys had this kind of heat that, um, you know, it, it was, I guess they call it not the right kind of heat. Um, but, um, but at the same time, you know, they, they continued to evolve week after week, uh, just like my character did. And I guess it was just, um, I think really it was, I got bounced around as far as what heels that I was announcing for. And it was the FBI, and it was Chris Chetty under a hood as GQ Gorgeous Quartermain. Um, did some stuff with Taz, did some stuff with Shane. And then I think it wound up being where the regular team that I was announcing was Devon Dudley and Axel Rotten. Mm-hmm. And they split up. And I stayed with Devon through that split up. And then the rest of the Dudleys became heels, all of them, including Bubba, including Big Dick. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to go through that uh, one of my famous, uh, more favorite promos, rather, uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, your promo at ECW Heatwave uh, 1999. And again, you were mentioning that you had a lot of control uh, over what you were allowed to say. Uh, did you just feel like this sort of different energy in terms of that promo? Because a lot of people look back at that promo as one of those defining promos uh, of, of ECW and of uh, your character as well. That, is, that does seem to be a lot of people's favorites. Um, I, I like that one, too. Um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting that night. I loved that building. I always loved the Harrow Arena in Dayton. It's one of those kind of old WWF buildings that, like, they weren't really running it anymore, so we kind of started to. Um, but it's, you know, it's a building that I, you know, recognize from, you know, reading the name of it in magazines and newsletters, and I remember seeing TV tapings from there. So, yeah, definitely one of the top venues in the town. And that gives it a sort of legitimacy and validity and integrity. And it gives the vibe a really special kind of aura. You know, it's just that old school, you know, wrestling aura. Um, Yeah, it was interesting that night. You know, lots of stuff was going on in the company around that time. Um, And, yeah, as far as the Dudleys, I think, you know, we were peaking, too. I mean... We definitely, you know, not long after that, um, you know, the Dudleys would wind up leaving for the WWF, but that was kind of firing on all cylinders, and that was definitely at a time where Bubba's character had evolved to the point where he was joining in the fray, and after I would be done and hand the mic off to him and Devon, you know, he would pick up full bore and full steam right from there and, uh, and get his own stuff in. So, yeah, it was an amazing night, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, one last thing on ECW. Uh, another one of the uh, things you're famous for in ECW is your feuding uh, with the network, um, with Cyrus. And uh, how, could you just go through that feud and uh, just the way uh, it just built up over time with you and your eventually your one-on-one match with Cyrus? Yeah. It was, I think it was art imitates life. You know, I think it was we were getting so much just guff from the network and we were just so sick of it and you know couldn't tolerate it anymore that i paul probably decided let's just create a heel character that represents the network so that all of the baby faces and announcers 
and Paul himself and anybody who needs to can take out their frustrations on Cyrus, you know, without directly taking it out on T. And I mean, there were times where Joey and I would, you know, take TNN to task and really call him out behind the woodshed on air, and some of it made air, most of it didn't. Uh, there would be stuff that I or Paul said that would get censored, either the audio or whatever, or they'd run a crawl. I think for Paul, they ran a crawl saying, this man obviously has been hit in the head too many times with steel chairs, which is, you know, ironic, I guess, because whatever, but um, although he has in his career um, as a manager for many years before uh, owning ECW, but um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, TNN was just, it was the thorn in our side. It was the albatross, um, but it was a necessary burden. I mean, we thought that that was going to lead us to the promised land and be, you know, the next step to something even greater than it. And unfortunately, at the time, um, in part because of the rest of the wrestling industry and the television landscape for it, um, it really wound up being our undoing and kind of the end of the road for us. And uh, let's talk about uh, after ECW, uh, you made two appearances uh, for TNA, and obviously we've been seeing the news of what's been transpiring with them. Uh, how would you describe uh, your appearances uh, with TNA and just the overall experience working there? Yeah, um, I wasn't there much. Yeah, my first time there was two different nights, uh, one night for a taping and then a couple weeks later for the next one. And I think one of those was for two weekly pay-per-views and the other might have been for one so i think it was like the first three episodes of weekly pay-per-view and that was my whole run and then i went back as a one-off for the ecw uh hardcore justice pay-per-view uh so i was there um three nights and it um it was interesting it was different um you know i it was um, definitely more structured, um, you know, compared to ECW in certain ways. Um, at the time, I thought that it was probably a WCW-type feel, although I wouldn't be the best person to say that that's necessarily, you know, universally true because I didn't perform with WCW. But um, I thought comparing it to, like, the ECW system or the WCW or the WWE – it was probably WCW-esque. Um, and, I, you know, at the time I wasn't used to that, um, and I thought that I could certainly adapt, um, and I think I could have. Um, at the time that I stopped being used, I was never given a reason specifically. So I always thought it could have been that I took too much creative leeway and altered things a bit from the way they might have been, you know, wanting to be intended. I thought it could have been that. Or if I'm not going to be so hard on myself, then it could be at the time there was a little, there was a little scenario going on, uh, around with um, Jay Hassman and Team Services where TNA was being told that the number of pay-per-view buys that they were getting was way more than what was actually coming in. And they wound up very early on, that was the first point where they were kind of bleeding money. <laughs> and a lot of people who were fly-ins, they stopped flying in. So I don't know if I fall into that category or kind of the first category where it just didn't really seem to gel and they didn't want to continue with me, uh, or a combination or neither. I have no idea. I only know I went up to Jerry Jarrett. Um, I had actually moved to Nashville for about three, four months in an effort to not be a fly-in, but to be local so that they could just use me because I was in town. So I lived in Nashville for about three, four months and would visit at the shows. And at one of the shows, I asked Jerry Jarrett, you know, what was, you know, what could I do to kind of get back booked and what could I do to, you know, start appearing with TNA again? And he looked at me and he said, time. Wow. And, that, and, and that was it. And that was it. And the time wound up being however many years it was, uh, probably, you know, seven or eight years between 2003 or so, uh, maybe seven and a half years until the uh, summer of 10 
pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So it, it never really clicked with TNM, uh, un- uh, TNA rather, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's the story. I think the story is that I really don't know the story. <laughs> and uh, just one last quick question here: uh, You made an appearance at ECW One Night Stand uh, in 2005. Uh, how was that? Uh, how would you describe the energy in that building uh, at the Hammerstein Ballroom? That was great. That was great, and the energy felt completely authentic. It felt like an ECW show produced by WWE, not like a WWE show with an ECW theme. It felt very ECW authentic, which was helped by the fact that that building was not only a WWF building going back to the very you know early inceptions of Monday Night Raw, but it was also our building, too, because we did a number of shows there, TV tapings and pay-per-views, including our last pay-per-views so this kind of got to be um you know the next of the last pay-per-views but that show was a blast we didn't know where it was leading uh we didn't know that there'd be a sequel to it the next year and that that would spin off into sci-fi um we just knew that you know the rise and fall of ecw dvd had done really well so somebody uh there was a book as well written about um ecw so you know, somebody said, let's give it a chance as a theme pay-per-view. It'll probably, you know, sell hopefully more buys than the average B show, which I'm sure it did. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Joel, for the fantastic interview. And, hey, hope hopefully you uh, continue to have yourself a good week. Thank you, man. All right. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate it. He is one half of the legendary wrestling tag team, the Steiner Brothers. You know, the guys were different. Everybody was worried about their position and job. He's known as a dog-faced gremlin. WCW was probably the best company to work for, being in the business back then. Rick Steiner will be on Wrestling With Ideas on November the 3rd at 6 p.m. for an exclusive interview. This is the show that lets the dogs loose. And that show is... Wrestling With Ideas. You have just listened to the greatest wrestling show on the planet. If you want to listen to older episodes of the show, including full interviews, make sure you check out Wrestling With Ideas on Podbean and on the Podbean app, or listen to us on our new SoundCloud page. We can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and many more. Make sure you keep on tuning in every Thursday at 6 p.m. to wrestle with ideas.